Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. going to continue. Um, last week, we talked about the, the idea of being an authentic disciple as we've walked through our core values. And uh, with, with uh, John traveling and, and me finding later in the week that I was going to be uh, preaching this morning, we're going to kind of just uh, hold on the core value and just kind of piggyback on uh, what we talked about last week. So if you weren't here last week, um, we just decided, like, we tried to boil down and simplify um, the call, the great commission to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we highlighted, and we used a visual that I want to show you this morning to highlight, we, we tried to get to the most basic uh, foundational level of what it looks like to be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the top two marks there, um, if you could boil everything down, it would come back to one of these two things. Um, a disciple, an authentic disciple has a continued desire to be influenced by Jesus Christ. A continued disciple. It doesn't just stop. You're not just like, like saved by Jesus Christ and then like um, you pick it up 25 years later and like, yeah, I think I want to continue this Jesus thing, okay? An authentic disciple continues to have a desire. And then the second thing over on the right, a growing desire to influence others for Jesus. So flowing out of that is a desire to influence others for Jesus Christ. It's not just something you can hold in. It's impossible, okay, to just hold in the fact that Jesus is changing me and therefore I want to see others change. And so we highlighted in red two obstacles to, those, uh, to the desire to do these two things. So under the first one, we said um, what can often happen is we just stop being students altogether. We just stop. And therefore, we lose our passion to continue to learn from Jesus. He's given us an invitation to influence, and that's what we decide. Like, and, it, and we just stop. Okay? The second thing is we isolate ourselves rather than influence. So I have nothing to offer. And so... We talked about, like, if you could just boil it down, if we as individuals are going to be authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, we're going to be marked by these two things. They're going to be a balance of both of these moving forward. And that was the idea of, of that on a seesaw. And so <coughs> I just want to build on that th this morning with the idea of what it really means to be a lifelong student of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Um, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you that you can grab. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And, and what I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, I've learned, uh, me and my wife, when we do uh, devotions together, I, uh, we're going through a book, and um, I just read it. And her learning style is, she's like, I, I read it, and then she's like, what did you just say? I need to read it now. And so we have to go back and forth. And so this is just a nice, short powerful passage of scripture. And so I'm just going to give like a minute or two of silence here as you turn to that. And I just want you to read it for yourself and put yourself in the story, okay? Without, any, without me reading it. And then I'll follow up by reading it out loud for those of you who are like, I'm an audible person, okay? So let's just take a minute or two here and just read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42.
You can follow with me as I read in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So you there? You're, you're in the story with me? You've probably read, maybe not, that story before. We always said Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Just some context as we jump into this. This is the only time in the four Gospels, this is the only account of this, which is, is unusual. Most of the Gospels overlap. They tell the similar stories from different perspectives. Um, so it's, it's divinely inspired that Luke put this in here where he did. So what's happening here? Luke was a historian, doctor by trade. He's a very detailed guy. So his, as you read Luke, you find out there's often more details than the other Gospels. I just see him as, as he's processing and watching everything, he's there writing down. He's like the journaling guy. He keeps track of everything through his lens. And so you see that as it begins to unfold, that it was very intentional in the, overflow, or in the overall flow of this gospel. So what's happening here? Uh, Jesus is entering the last six months of his life. Six months. He's been doing ministry now for two and a half years, approximately, and he's entering into the last six months of his life. He's been traveling nonstop, nonstop traveling, back and forth, village to village, traveling. And how this would work is Jesus, not only did he have his 12 disciples, but he had many more disciples that would travel with him. And we know that there were certain numbers and breakouts, and one of that breakout numbers was 70 disciples. And what Jesus would do is he'd break them up into pairs, and so there was 35 teams of two. And he would say, go. Go to the villages and tell them about me. Now what would happen is they would enter a village. Some villages were receptive. Oh, we want to hear more. People would turn, like, I want to hear more about Jesus Christ. Others would reject them and say, we don't want anything to do with this. Those disciples would go back to Jesus and say, hey, let's, let's go to this village. We have a, a village that needs to hear more. Will you come? And so he just traveled, crisscrossed, constant travel. And so this morning, that's where we join Jesus in his travels as he's, he's been in Galilee and now he's been traveling. And we know that he's coming to a town called Bethany. Now, it doesn't say that in this passage, but we know from John 11 and 12 and the story of Lazarus that Lazarus had two sisters. What were their names? Mary and Martha. Two sisters, Mary and Martha. And he's, this, is, this is probably, this is going to happen after. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is going to come after this story. So we see that this is the first time, it seems the first time that he's meeting Mary and Martha. We know that he'll go back here again. He's going to go back here a week before he, if you look at where Bethany is, it's on the other side. It's about two miles east of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So it was the staging ground for where Jesus would go before he entered Jerusalem for the triumphal entry for the last week of his life. Bethany would become like that, that launching pad, that safe place of community that he's going to go right before he heads into Jerusalem for his last week of his life. So something else is happening here, though. Jesus is going to shift, and Luke in his gospel here is going to shift the focus of Jesus' ministry towards teaching. 
A lot of it in the beginning is about miracles. But from here, from this chapter in chapter 10 all the way through 19, okay, he's going to just focus on the teaching of Jesus. His disciples are entering their last semester, okay, um, for lack of a better term. They are now in the last six months of being able to have their teacher, their rabbi, in their midst, among them, teaching them. Now, they're not fully aware of this. Jesus knows this. And so he shifts his focus to teaching. And that is what is happening in this passage. Jesus is teaching. So God's been like, stir- I've, been, I've been in this passage for probably about two months now. And so I just want to share three observations this morning that God has been teaching me as I've just been digesting this over and over again. And the Lord's been using this in my life. So before we get to, to the first observation, I just want to ask you a question. If I were to ask you to pull out a pen and paper and write on that paper, my number one priority as a Christian in this world is blank. My number one priority as a Christian in this world is blank. Just think for a second, what would you write in that blank space? My number one priority as a Christian in this world is this. I think to really, to process and think through that, we have to define priority. Priority is the main thing or the important thing. The main thing or the important thing. What word is in the word priority? Prior. Okay, it wasn't a trick question. Prior. Okay, it's there, priority, and you see prior in there. Prior means to come before. Synonyms, foundational, preeminent, okay, all all those different words. So the word priority, that whole idea is it's something that comes before anything else. Now, someone on the street, okay, if I just go out and say, hey, what's your top priority in life? Their answer is going to differ from our answer as Christians, okay? You can read, there's lots of self-help books out there that are good reads, but they're coming from a secular background that if you prioritize these things, you will be a successful person. And they're very inward focused, okay? Um, And a lot of them are good things. They're not bad things, but they can't be the main priorities for us as believers. So really for the believer, there can only be one answer to this. And I think that's what Jesus is, is unpacking for us of, like, what is your top priority? What, what does it need to be in all the priorities of life? So number one, number, first observation in this passage, Mary's posture reveals our top priority. So look in verse 39. We say, what is Mary's posture? She was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. So we see there she's sitting at the Lord's feet. It's very clear. Verse 42, um, it sees that she's like right, um, but one thing is necessary. Okay, so one thing is necessary. She's doing that. She's sitting at the Lord's feet. It uses that phrase, one thing. Now, that's a, that's a phrase that you see throughout Scripture, one thing. In Psalm 27.4, actually, turn over to Psalm 27.4 with me, if you would. Psalm 27. I just want to, I want you to see what we're talking about here. Mary's posture, the one thing that she was doing, reveals what our top priority should be as Christians. So this is a psalm of David, okay? And he's asking the Lord to reduce his life to one thing, one singular focus. And so he's declaring in this passage, this is my singular focus. This is what I'm all about. Psalm 27.4 says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
So what's he asking for? That he can dwell with the Lord and gaze upon the Lord's beauty and inquire in his temple. He's like, that's what I want. That's my focus, my gaze. That word there, inquire, means that I want to continue to learn in his presence. So we see there David asked the Lord to reduce his life to behold the beauty of the Lord. One thing, top priority. Philippians 3.13, awesome verses. Paul says, this one thing I do, straining towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling, which is Christ Jesus. He used the same thing. This one thing I do is I'm going to strive after Christ Jesus. So Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet. Now, this is an amazing thing in this culture because a, a typical rabbi would, first of all, never let a woman sit at his feet. It was uncouth. It was, like, looked at as, like, how can you allow that to happen? Like, really? A rabbi would never let a woman sit there at his feet. So we see here, isn't it humbling to think about that we have an open invitation to sit at Jesus' feet? That's the first thing, like, I mean, it's an amazing thing that Jesus gives this invitation, and it doesn't matter what class you are. From what we know, we don't know a lot about Mary, but they weren't, like, some high-class citizen family that was, like, had a lot of money, so she got a front-row seat because she paid, like, premium ticket prices on StubHub. No, she was, like, just an everyday, normal, typical person, and she's sitting in the front row of Jesus' feet, learning, taking it in. There's an intimacy there. She's hanging on to every word. Martha gave us a great example. Luke 6.47 says this, everyone who comes to me, Jesus was teaching this earlier, just a few chapters earlier. He says this, everyone who comes to me, there's that invitation, and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So what is this person like? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when the flood rose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it, and the, Sorry, the flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. See, Mary is laying a foundation. She's prioritizing something very important. She's at the feet of Jesus, and she has that invitation to just sit at his feet. You see, whenever Jesus spoke, he was the mouthpiece for God. This is important to understand. Whenever Jesus spoke, he was speaking on behalf of God. He was God incarnate. He came to um, dwell with us, but he was still God. He spoke on behalf of God. So what does that mean for today? Jesus is no longer like showing up and, and speaking to us in person. However, now God speaks, still speaks. It's alive and active, his word, through his word. And so that's our invitation. When we sit at Jesus' feet, Mary is showing us this is a priority to sit at the feet of this because it's God's word. Just as when Jesus spoke, it was God's word. I just picture, like, I don't know what you picture when you picture that scene, but there's like an eagerness. Um, Jesus traveled in groups, so he packed out houses quick, okay? You know the story where he heals the man who's, who can't walk? What do they have to do? They have to lower the guy th where? Through the roof because he couldn't get in the house, okay? So, like, to get a front row seat, whenever Jesus went, his disciples were there, and there was a lot of those of them. People gathered. Like, hey, Jesus is at Martha's house. Jesus is at Martha's house. So they run and gather. And there she is at the front, eager to learn. You see, our posture reveals our priorities. And here, Mary is setting an amazing, amazing example for us. Um, something that we can strive after. An example that we should be striving for.
But now we're introduced, okay? So that, that's the first observation. Now we're introduced to another central figure, and that's, that's Martha. And Martha gives us a, an interesting unfolding of her life here, a, a glimpse. It's such a few verses, but you get a glimpse into who Martha is. And my second observation is that our good intentions can often be negative distractions. Our good intentions can often be negative distractions. Turn, turn back to Luke chapter 10, and I just want to look at verse 38. What good intentions did Martha have here? What were her good intentions? Well, it says it right here. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. We call that what? Hospitality. Is hospitality a biblical act? Yes. In fact, I mean, it's very biblical. It's talked about all through Scripture that we are to be hospitable. In fact, an elder shouldn't even be an elder if he is not hospitable. I mean, that's how important God looks at hospitality. So we look at Martha, and she is opening her house to not just Jesus, but she knows there's going to be a lot of people. Now, I don't know about you, and we're going to find out, like, like, just opening your house to a lot of people is not easy for a lot of us, okay? Because, like, what if someone spills something, you know? And uh, what if, like, I don't have the necessary food to feed everybody? Like, our mind starts. So she is, like, on the right path. She has good intentions. She's like, I am going to open my home and practice hospitality. Verse 40 um, tells us more that she was um, serving. She was busy serving. I don't know what that is. I don't want to read into it. But Jesus was traveling. So at some point she probably clicked, like, we need to. We need to have food, okay? Um, who's going to be make the food? So she began to make preparations, possibly. Um, it could have been that she was um, uh, saying, okay, if, if he's going to sleep here and stay here, I need to get, get that ready. Again, she, she's doing good things. So what's the issue? What is the thing that we always say, man, what is the big difference between Mary and Martha? And this is at the core of the issue. The issue is not what she was doing. It was when she was doing it. That was the issue. It was the order of her priorities of what was happening. Verse 40, it says Martha was distracted. Okay? What was she distracted from? Jesus. The guest that she had invited into her house to teach, she's not even engaged with the fact that he's there because she is distracted, it says, with serving. I mean, I just think about that. Like God incarnate is speaking in her home, okay, and she says that she was distracted. She wasn't even listening. She was running around. She was anxious, busy doing things. I think this is a powerful, I think we can all identify with this. I think this is where the rubber meets the road in this passage. Um, how many of you can identify with Martha? Okay. How many of you are uh, checklist people? Okay. Checklist, task-oriented checklist people. Okay. That's me. This is a little glimpse. I keep this on my desk all the time. Um, every day I work with this. It says at the top, seven days a week. That's good for me. Keeps it simple. I can always remember there's seven days this week, okay? Um, and then it goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, weekend, okay? And every day that I finish, there's this little check mark, uh, mark at the bottom. It says survived Monday, okay? Tuesday, it says managed Tuesday. Wednesday, it says over the hump, okay? I'm not going to say it because I don't know. Okay? Um, Thursday, it says, one more to go. Just one more day. Friday, it's finally over. Okay? And then Saturday and Sunday, it says, back to the grind. I keep this right next to me as I work 
It's always there. When I close my computer at night, I stick it in there so the next day I can come in and say, it's Tuesday, what do I need to get done? And you know what often happens in my life is my, my good intentions to get my checklist done becomes what I focus on, and Christ gets nothing of my day because I start with my checklist. I think Martha in this story, she got distracted by her checklist. I think it's clear that uh, she invites Jesus in. He's teaching in her home, and her mind begins to get distracted by what needs to be done. I think in, in some ways we probably can all identify with that. Some of us are, are more distracted than others. But I love what Jesus does here. He goes right at it. Look at verse 41. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Everybody say that with me, Martha, Martha. You ready? Martha, Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. I just love the perception of Jesus in this moment and the compassion that's there. He says, Martha, you're anxious and troubled. Like, think about everything that's going on. He's teaching. There's people everywhere. And he looks over and he says, you're troubled. You've forgotten the necessary thing, the important thing, and that's me. But I love that Jesus doesn't condemn her in that moment. You notice he doesn't say, what you're doing is ridiculous. Does he do that at all? No, he just says, let me, let me point you to something better. There, there's something better right now for you. Like, I'm here. I, I want to I meet with you. I want to teach you. I want you to be changed. I'm here. I'm right here in the room right now. Be here with me. Man, am I thankful for this. Because how many times do I have to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I look back at my day. And they say, God, I gave you nothing today. I accomplished a lot for your kingdom. Great. But I didn't spend time with you, and that's what you want. That's what you want. I think Jesus is teaching a very important principle here. And, and, and it's one that we have to grasp as Christians. If we get this wrong, everything else kind of like falls out of whack. Um, our service for the Lord will be most effective when we are first satisfied in Christ. So sat what is satisfaction, okay? It's the idea of finding full contentment, full contentment in who Christ is. It's fully resting in. You know what it's like to go out and like after getting just a terrible night's sleep and you know you got a full day ahead of you? Like you just, it just starts off bad. But when you get a full night's rest and you go into the day, like it just changes your mindset like, all right, I can get stuff done today. I'm rested. I had a good night's sleep. Now, some of you with young kids are like, I don't even know what that means, okay? Um, but you, like, it'll come, okay? But, like, think about the fact that that's the opportunity we have to, to, to go out and serve. But it first has to be done when we have satisfaction and full contentment in, in who Christ is. Now, it seems like a little thing, but the order of our priorities matter big time. Martha put her service for Christ before her satisfaction in Christ. So our service has to flow out of the fact that we are, are enjoying and, and, and intensely in love with who Christ is. And when we flip that, things get messed up so bad because it becomes about what we've accomplished, not about what we're accomplishing for the Lord. Now, when I stop and really meditate on, like, the amazing things that my wife does, 
Um, there's times when I'm like just cultivated, like, man, I really appreciate her. I'm going to go do the dishes, okay? And I'm going to show her an act of service because I know she would appreciate that after a day of work of me doing acts of service. When I go into it with that heart, it's very different than when I say, she better notice. I'm banging pans in there. I want her to notice that I'm doing the dishes today, okay? She better see this, okay? I'm even going to leave a soaking dish so that she knows I'm coming back to do more dishes later, okay? Um, You see the difference there is where when I do it with the right heart, because I actually love and appreciate what she does, because I'm, I'm satisfied in the relationship and what she's, what, how we complement one another, is very different than when I'm selfishly saying, I'm going to wash the dishes because I want to prove something or I want something in return. Because it instantly becomes the act is about me. It's not true service. It's selfishly motivated. And in that moment, you see Martha, good intentions, but she misses the moment. To really rest and be with Jesus. She puts service before her satisfaction in Christ. And the important thing about this is when we get this priority right, everything else falls in a line. Everything else falls in a line. Think about all the priorities we have in this life. Like the things that you're wrestling with every day. Like how do I get this done? What should I do? What are the important things? This is when checklists are valuable, right? All right, this is the 17 and a half things I got to get done today. Now I need to prioritize these things. The beautiful part about prioritizing just being satisfied and content in Christ and sitting at his feet first is that it puts perspective into everything else that you have to get done that day. I mean, seriously, try it. I mean, some of us live overwhelmed lives. Martha, you're anxious. Why are you anxious? I'm here. It's because we forgot to put the number one priority at the top of the list. Then everything else just falls in a line. It's amazing how God does that. So why does this matter? It matters because our third observation from this passage, our priorities reveal the true nature of our heart. Our priorities reveal the true nature of our heart. And it's, it's beautiful here. Jesus kind of just like gives us an application here and he gives us a litmus test. If you're sitting here today like, hmm, like I wonder where my priorities are. Like how do I tell if, if God is really holding? Now we're never all going to just keep God number one in our lives, right? Like we're human. But a litmus test is the idea that we can always go back to it on a daily basis and say, hey, where am I at? Where am I at this week? Where am I at today as I leave here? And so we see that this litmus test comes. And and it's important because our priorities will always follow, okay? Our heart will always follow our priorities. Our priorities lead us, and and it's like interchangeable. Like, you know how the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks? It's like we can't hide what's inside. It's going to come out, and it's going to come out in our priorities, so Martha shows us in verse 40. Watch the transformation. This is crazy, okay? So she, in verse 40, says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, Jesus. So she goes up to him. This is not an easy task. She's navigating her way through to Jesus. And this is what she says in verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you not care? Martha, in a moment, when her priorities were out of whack, her true heart showed, okay, and she goes from welcoming the Son of God into her home to questioning if the Son of God even cares. Like that. That is crazy. That's a transformation. That's the heart being revealed. She says, do you don't even care? Like, think about the foolishness of those words. Jesus is sitting there in her home teaching, what, you don't even care? Like, look what I'm doing. See, it had to become all about her. So the heart manifests itself. It comes out. 
foolishness, foolish words. But how many times do I utter those foolish words when my priorities get out of whack? It's easy to beat up Martha here, but man. Then she says, okay, then she takes it a step further. In verse 40 at the very end, it says, what does it say there? Tell her then to help me. She just got bossy with Jesus. Like that's, I mean, that's what she's doing there. Jesus, tell her to help me. Like, again, wow. Like this is, this, our heart is being revealed in this moment. Isn't it amazing how fast, when our priorities are out of act, how, how demanding we can become of God? Demanding we can become of others? Because it has become about us. There's always negative results when our priorities. It, it, and so you say, like, well, how do, how do I know? Like, what, what, tell me, like, what do I do? If you're easily a judgmental person, your priorities are probably out of whack. You probably don't have the top priority where it needs to be. If you're just easily judgmental about other people, it's probably there. If you're critical, if you're apathetic, if you're angry, if you're anxious, we see that in this moment. Martha has an, an anxiousness about her because she's missing what the top priority is in that moment. It's, uh, it's so easy, like I said, to oversimplify this passage and be like, hey, like that was cool verses. We need to be more like Mary and Martha's, you know, bad example, good example. And this is where we need to do. But isn't it amazing that if we really stop and internalize these, these verses, that it's just as apropos today as it was in that moment. It shines a bright light into basically our whole Western culture and how we do church, but it also shines a bright light probably into the homes and lives and souls of each and every one of us. I mean, a bright light into saying, hey, Brian, what's your top priority? Like, why are you here? What's your one thing? What's, what's your necessary? Where, where is that this morning? How all of us can identify with Martha in some way. Yes, no, yes. So I just want to keep it really simple in conclusion, like really, really simple. This is, this is I just ask one question. Is there a need for a priority adjustment this morning in my life? Like, is there? Do you need to, to just kind of to shift something? If so, begin to follow Mary's example. Use this passage as a litmus test. I keep, I told you, I've been back here two, for the last two months, I've been back here probably on a weekly basis. I've had other people say, hey, I need you to keep me accountable. Ask me if I'm sitting at Jesus' feet. Like, am I doing that? When you go to the chiropractor, um, you're, you're not getting back surgery. You're getting a little adjustment, okay? And it makes a big difference sometimes, doesn't it? Here in that moment, Jesus is telling Martha, listen, Martha, Martha, you need to make a little adjustment right now. Your heart's in the right place. You're here. You invited me into your home, but you need to make an adjustment here. And it's an important one. It's a teaching moment for Martha. I, uh, I just want to highlight one more thing. Like, how, how do I change my posture? As you sit here this morning, you're like, I know I need to do this. Um, Martha was in the right spot to learn. She was in a community of believers and disciples, and she knew that. She was, she was going to have this moving forward. You see that this becomes a, a central hub of Jesus' ministry. And you say, how do I change my posture? It's done in community. It's done with, with people around you that are, are striving after Christ, that have an opportunity to look at your life and say, hey, this, this is a little out of whack. Sometimes we don't even know that something's out of whack. Um, and then it just hits us one day, and it shows up. 
Like, we have that opportunity in community to look at one another and say, hey, here, here's some adjustments that need to happen. My, as I look back at my life, the year of greatest spiritual growth for me was my junior year of college. God just broke me, broke down walls of bitterness, got a hold of my heart. And, and during that year, I had a couple guys around me who were, we, we challenged one another to do the one-year Bible, and we read through it for the year. Amazing year of growth in my life. Um, over the, the previous year, fast forward to today, uh, one of the guys in our um, men's group um, went on a journey to read the Bible through for the whole year. And it was, it was, I was an observer of that in our men's group of, hey, I'm behind or it's been a struggle or I just feel like I'm like just going through the motions. But other times it was like, man, God is really using this and the discipline of this to teach me. And so I watched that unfold. I didn't realize at the time, but like I was, I was being encouraged and influenced to be like, hmm, I wonder if I should do that again. I wonder if I should make that a priority in my life because I've, I haven't been in the word like I should. And so it kind of empowered me and encouraged me in that moment to say, man, I need to make an adjustment here. And so starting Jan 1, I've, I've begun to do that. And man, it has been good. It has been so good. It was an adjustment that I needed to make. Um, a lot of things, my heart was in the right place, but it wasn't my top priority. And so God has given a tool for that. What does that look like for you? I have no idea, okay? I don't know what adjustment looks like in your life. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know what that looks like. But I would ask you to pray and give it to the Lord and say, God, what, what does an adjustment look like? And then look for others around you in community. If you want to talk after the service, like, what does this look like? What does an adjustment look like? Feel free to do that. But Martha was in the right spot to learn. Jesus leaves the earth and he gives the church to accomplish the same things that he did. So where's your eagerness at? What little adjustments do you need to make? Martha gave us a great starting point, um, an eagerness to learn. Mary gave us a great starting point, an eagerness to learn and to sit at Jesus' feet. She made it a priority. Um, And so I'd ask you, what's that look like for you starting today? Again, to be an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ, we are continuing to be students of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do you do that in your everyday life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power in it. God, we thank you for this little snippet of a story, God, that you you insert into Luke, into the gospel of Luke, where you just powerfully give the story between two sisters, God. I know I can identify so much Martha in my checklist, God. In so many days, I abandon you in the endeavor to do things for you, God. And so may I just ask you for me and, and for everyone in this room, God, that our service for you would first start with a satisfaction in who you are. May, may what we do in this life, may all the other priorities that we have overflow and, and flow out of the relationship and the satisfaction that we have in you as our top priority. God, thank you for this. As we sing this song, God, get, cause us, stir us to think about this topic as we leave here today, in your name, amen.